Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 6. It took Yellen a week to get his enforcers together in sufficient number, together with an adequate brood squad. And so, five days before the wedding, he stood at the head of his company, awaiting the speech of the prince. This was in the castle courtyard, and when the prince appeared, the count was, as usual, with him. Although, not as usual, the count seemed preoccupied. Which, of course, he was, though Yellen had no way of knowing that. The count has sucked ten years from Wesley this past week, and, with the life of 65 that was average for a Florinese male, the victim had approximately 30 years remaining, assuming he was about 25 when they started experimenting. But how best to go about dividing that? The count was simply in a quandary. So many possibilities, but which would prove, scientifically, most interesting? The count sighed. Life was never easy. You are here, the prince began, because there may be another plot against my beloved. I charge each and every one of you with being her personal protector. I want the thieves' quarter empty and all the inhabitants jailed 24 hours before my wedding. Only then will I rest easy. Gentlemen, I beg you, think of this mission as being an affair of the heart, and I know you will not fail. With that, he pivoted, and, followed by the count, hurried from the courtyard, leaving Yellen in command. The conquest of the thieves' quarter began immediately. Yellen worked long and hard at it each day, but the thieves' quarter was a mile square, so there was much to do. Most of the criminals had been through unjust and illegal roundups before, so they offered little resistance. They knew the jails were not sailed enough for all of them, so for men a few days incarceration, what did it matter? There was, however, a second group of criminals. Those that realized the capture meant, for various past performances, death. And these, without exception, resisted. In general, Yellen through adroit handling of the brute squad, was able to bring these bad fellows, eventually, under control. Still, 36 hours before the sunset wedding, there were half a dozen holdouts left in the thieves' quarter. Yellen arose at dawn and, tired and confused, not one of the captured criminals seemed to come from Gilder. He gathered the best of the brute squad and led them into the thieves' quarter for what simply had to be the final foray. Yellen went immediately to Falkbridge's alehouse, first sending all save two brutes off on various tasks, keeping a noisy one and a quiet one for his own needs. He knocked on Falkbridge's door and waited. Falkbridge was by far the most powerful man in the thieves' quarter. He seemed almost to own half of it, and there wasn't a crime of any dimension he wasn't behind. He always avoided arrests, and everyone except Yellen thought Falkbridge must be bribing somebody. Yellen knew he was bribing somebody, since every month, rain or shine, Faultbridge came to Yellen's house and gave him a satchel full of money. Who? Faultbridge called from inside the alehouse. The chief of all enforcement in Florence City, accompanied by brutes, Yellen replied. Completeness was one of his virtues. Oh. Faultbridge opened the door. For a power, he was very unimposing, short and chubby. Come in. Yellen entered, leaving the two brutes in the doorway. Get ready and be quick, Yellen said. Hey, Yellen, it's me, Falkbridge said softly. 
I know, I know, Yellen said softly right back, but please do me a favor, get ready. Pretend I did. I'll stay in the L house, I promise. I got enough food, no one will ever know. The prince is without mercy, Yellen said. If I let you stay and I'm found out, that's it for me. I've been paying you 20 years to stay out of jail. You're a rich man just so I don't have to go to jail. Where's the logic of me paying you and no advantages? I'll make it up to you. I'll get you the best selling floor in city. Don't you trust me? How can I trust a man I paid 20 years to stay out of jail when all of a sudden, the minute a little pressure's on, he says, go to jail. I'm not going. You! Yelling signal to the noisy one. The brute started running forward. Put this man in the wagon immediately, Yellen said. Falkbridge was starting to explain when the noisy one clubbed him across the neck. Not so hard, Yellen cried. The noisy one picked up Falkbridge, tried dusting his clothes. Is he alive? Yellen asked. See, I didn't know you wanted him breathing in the wagon. I thought you only wanted him in the wagon breathing or not, so... Enough, Yellen interrupted, and, upset, he hurried out of the L house while the noisy one brought Falkbridge. Is that everyone, then? Yellen asked as various brutes were visible leaving the thieves' quarter, pulling various wagons. I think they're still the fencer with the brandy, the noisy one began. See, they tried getting him out yesterday, but... I can't be bothered with a drunk. I'm an important man. Get him out of here and do it now, both of you. Take the wagon with you and be quick. This quarter must be locked and deserted by sundown or the prince will be mad at me, and I don't like it much when the prince is mad at me. We're going, we're going, the noisy one replied, and he hurried off, letting the quiet one bring the wagon with fault bridge inside. They tried getting the spencer yesterday, some of the standard enforcers, but it seems he has certain sword skills that made them wary. But I think I have a trick that'll work. The quiet one hurried along behind, dragging the wagon. They rounded a corner, and from around another corner just up ahead, a kind of drunken mumbling was starting to get louder. I'm getting very bored, Vizzini, came from out of sight. Three months is a long time to wait, especially for a passionate Spaniard. Much louder now. And I am very passionate, Vizzini, and you are nothing but a tardy Sicilian. So if you're not here in 90 more days, I'm done with you. Do you hear me? Done. Much softer now. I, I didn't, I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that, Vizzini. I just love my filthy stoop. Take, take your time. The noisy brute slowed. That kind of talk goes on all day. Ignore it and keep the wagon out of sight. The quiet one pushed the wagon almost to the corner and stopped it. Stay with the wagon, the noisy one added, and then whispered, Here comes my trick. With that, he walked alone around the corner and stared ahead at the skinny fellow, sitting, clutching the brandy bottle on the stoop. Ho there, friend, the noisy one said. I'm not moving. Keep your ho there, said the brandy drinker. Hear me through, please. I've been sent by Prince Humperdinck himself, who's in need of entertainment. Tomorrow is our country's 500th anniversary and the dozen greatest tumblers and fencers and entertainers are at this very moment competing. The finest pair will compete personally tomorrow for the new bride and groom. Now, as to why I'm here, yesterday some of my friends tried rousting you, and they said later 
that you resisted with some splendid sword work. So, if you like, I, at great personal sacrifice, will rush you to the fencing contest, where, if you're as good as I'm told, you might have yet the honor of entertaining the royal couple tomorrow. Do you think you could win such a competition? Breezing. Then hurry while there's still time to enter. The Spaniard managed to stand. He unsheathed his sword and flashed it a few times across the morning. The noisy one took a few quick steps backwards and said, No time to waste. Come along now. Then the drunk started yelling, I'm waiting for Vazini. Meanie. I'm not mean. I'm just following the rule. Cruel. Not cruel, not mean. Can't you understand I'm... And here, his voice trailed off for a moment as he squinted. Then quietly, he said, Fezzik? From behind the noisy one, the quiet one said, Who's Fezzik? Anigo took a step from his stoop, trying desperately to make his eyes focus through the brandy. Fezzik? Is that a joke you made? The quiet one said, played. Anigo gave a cry, started staggering forward. Fezzik, it is you! True! And he reached out, grabbed Anigo just before he stumbled, brought him back into an upright position. Hold him, just like that, the noisy brute said, and he moved in quickly, right on raise as he had done the fault bridge. Splat! Fezzik dumped the noisy brood into the wagon beside Falkbridge, covered them both with a soiled blanket, and then hurried back to Onego, whom he had left leaning propped against a building. It's, it's just so good to see you, Fezzik said then. Oh, it is, it, it is, but... Onego's voice was winding steadily down now. I'm too weak for surprises were the last sounds he got out before he fainted from fatigue and brandy and no food and bad sleep and lots of other things, none of them nutritious. Fezzik hoisted him up with one arm, took the wagon in the other, and hurried back to Falkbridge's house. He carried an eagle inside, placed him upstairs on Falkbridge's feather bed, then hurried away to the entrance of the thieves' quarter, dragging the wagon behind him. He made very sure that the dirty blanket covered both the victims, and outside the entrance, the brute squad held a boot count of those they had removed. The total came out right, and by 11 in the morning, the great walled thieves' quarter was officially empty and padlocked. Released from active duty, Fezzik followed the wall around to a quiet place and waited. He was alone. Walls were never any problem for him, not so long as his arms worked, and he quickly scaled this one and hurried back through the quiet streets to Falkbridge's house. He made some tea carried it upstairs, and force-fed Inigo. Within a few moments, Inigo was blinking under his own power. It's just so good to see you, Fezzik said then. Oh, it is, it is, Inigo agreed, and I I'm sorry for fainting, but I have done nothing for 90 days but wait for Vizzini and drink brandy. And, and a surprise like seeing you, well, that was just too much for me on an empty stomach. But I'm fine now. Good. Fezzik said. Vizzini is dead. He is, eh? Dead, you say? Viz. And then he fainted again. Fezzik began berating himself. Oh, you st 
stupid. If there's a right way and a wrong way, trust you to find the dumb way. Fool, fool, back to the beginning was the rule. Fezzik really felt idiotic then because after months of forgetting, now that he didn't need to remember anymore, he remembered. He hurried downstairs and made some tea and brought some crackers and honey and fed Inigo again. When Inigo blinked, Fezzik said, Rest. Thank you, my friend. No more fainting. And he closed his eyes and slept for an hour. Fezzik busied himself in Faultbridge's kitchen. He really didn't know how to prepare a proper meal, but he could heat and he could cool and he could sniff the good meat from the rotted, so it wasn't too great a task to finally end up with something that once looked like roast beef and another thing that could have been a potato. The unexpected smell of hot food brought a negro around, and he lay in bed, eating every bite Fezzik fed him. I never realized I was in such terrible condition, Anigo said, chewing away. Shh, you'll be fine now, Fezzik said, cutting another piece of meat, putting it into Anigo's mouth. Anigo chewed it carefully down. First, you appearing so suddenly, and then, on top of that, the business of Azini. It was too much for me. It would have been too much for anybody. Just rest. Fezzik began to cut another piece of meat. I feel like such a baby. So helpless, Anigo said, taking the next bite, chewing away. You'll be as strong as ever by sundown, Fezzik promised, getting the next piece of meat ready. The six-fingered man is named Count Rugen, and he's here right now in Florence City. Interesting, Anigo managed this time before he fainted again. Fezzik stood over the still figure. Well, it is so good to see you, he said, and it's been such a long time, and I've just got so much news. Anigo only lay there. Fezzik hurried to Falkbridge's tub and plugged it up, and after a lot of work, he got it filled with steaming water, and then he dunked Anigo in, holding him down with one hand, holding Anigo's mouth shut with the other. And when the brandy began to sweat from the Spaniard's body, Fezzik emptied the tub and filled it again, with icy water this time, and back he plunged Anigo, and when that water began to warm a bit, he filled the tub with steaming stuff, and back went Anigo, and now the brandy was really oozing from his pores, and that was how it went hour after hour, hot to icy cold to steaming hot, and then some tea, and then some toast, and then some steaming hot again, and more icy cold, and then a nap, and then more toast, and less tea, but the longest steamer yet, and this time there wasn't much brandy left inside, and one final icy cold, and then a two-hour sleep, until by mid-afternoon, they sat downstairs in Faultbridge's kitchen, and now, at last, for the first time in 90 days, Anigo's eyes were almost bright. His hands did shake, but not all that noticeably. And perhaps the Inigo before the brandy would have bested this fellow now in 60 minutes of solid fencing. But not too many other masters in the world would have survived for five. Tell me briefly now. While I've been here with the brandy, you've been where? Well, I spent some time in a fishing village. And then I wandered a bit. And then a few weeks ago, I found myself in Gilder. And the talk there was of the coming wedding, and perhaps the coming war, and I remember Buttercup, when I carried her up the cliffs of insanity. She was so pretty and soft, and I had never been so near perfume before that I thought it might be nice to see her wedding celebrations. So I came here, but my money was gone, and then they were forming a brute squad and needed giants, and I went to apply, and they beat me with clubs to see if I was strong enough. And when the clubs broke, they decided I was. I've been a brute first class all this past week. It's very good pay. Anigo nodded. 
All right, again, and this time, please be brief. From the beginning, the man in black, did he get by you? Yes, fairly, too. Strength against strength. I was slow and out of practice. Then it was he who killed Vizzini. That is my belief. Did he use sword or his strength? Fezzik tried to remember. There weren't any sword wounds, and Vizzini didn't seem broken. There were just these two goblets and Vizzini dead. Poison is my guess. Why would Vizzini take poison? Fezzik hadn't the least idea. But he was definitely dead? Fezzik was positive. Anigo began to pace the kitchen, his movements quick and sharp, the way his movements were before. Alright, Vizzini is dead. Enough of that. Tell me briefly where the six-finger Rugen is so I may kill him. That may not be so easy, Anigo, because the Count is with the Prince, and the Prince is in his castle, and he's pledged not to leave it until after his wedding, for he fears another sneak attack from Gilder. And all the entrances but the main one are still for safety, and the main doors are guarded by twenty men. Hmm, Anigo said, pacing faster now. If you fought five, and I fenced five, that would mean ten gone. Which would be bad, because that would also mean ten left, and they would kill us. But, and now he picked up his pace even more, if you should take six and I took eight, that would mean 14 beaten, which would not be as bad, but still bad enough since the six remaining would kill us. And now he whirled on Fezzik. How many could you handle the most? Well, some of them are from the brute squad, so I don't think more than eight. Leaving me 12, which is not impossible, but not the best way to spend your first evening after three months on brandy. And suddenly, Anigo's body sagged, and in his eyes, bright, a moment ago, now there was moisture. What has happened? Fezzik cried. Oh, my friend, my friend, I need Vizzini. I'm not a planner. I follow. Tell me what to do, and no man alive does it better. But my mind is like fine wine. It travels badly. I go from thought to thought, but not with logic, and I forget things, and help me, Fezzik, what am I to do? Fezzik wanted to cry now, too. I'm the stupidest fellow that was ever born. You know that. I can remember to come back here even after you made up that lovely special rhyme for me. I need Vizzini. But Vizzini is dead. And then Anigo was up again, blazing about the kitchen, and for the first time, his fingers were snapping in excitement. I don't need Vizzini. I need his master. I need the man in black. Look. He bested me with steel, my greatness. He bested you with strength, yours. He must have outplanned and outthought Vizzini, and he will tell me how to break through the castle and kill the six-finger beast. If you have the least notion where the man in black is at this moment, relate quickly the answer. He sells the seven seas with the dread pirate Roberts. Why would he do a thing like that? Because he's a sailor for the dread pirate Roberts. A sailor? A common sailor. A common, ordinary seaman best the great Inigo Montoya with the sword? Inconceivable. He must be the Dread Pirate Roberts. Otherwise, it makes no sense. In any event, he's sailing far away. Count Rugen says so, and the prince himself gave the order. The prince wants no pirates around, what with all the trouble he's having with Gilder. Remember, they kidnapped the princess once. They might try... Fezzik, we kidnapped the princess once. 
You were never strong on memory, but even you should recall that we put the Gilded Uniform pieces under the princess's saddle. Bazzini did it because he was under orders to do it. Someone wanted Gilder to look guilty, and who but a noble would want that, and what noble more than the war-loving prince himself? We never knew who hired Bazzini. I guess Humperdinck. And as for the Count's word on the man in black's whereabouts, since the Count is the same man who slaughtered my father, we can rest assured that he's certainly a terrific fellow. He started for the door. Come, we have much to do. Fezzik followed him through the darkening streets of the thieves' quarter. You'll explain things to me as we go along? Fezzik asked. I'll explain them to you now. His blade-like body knifed on through the quiet streets, Fezzik hurrying alongside. A. I need to reach Count Rugen to at last avenge my father. B. I cannot plan on how to reach Count Rugen. C. Bazzini could have planned it for me, but C. Prime, Bazzini's unavailable. However, D. The man in black outplanned Bazzini, so therefore E. The man in black can get me to Count Rugen. But I told you, Prince Humperdinck, after he captured him, gave orders for all to hear that the man in black was to be returned safely to his ship. Everyone in Florence knows this to be so. A. Prince Humperdinck had some plans to kill his fiancée and hired us to carry them out. But B. The man in black ruined Prince Humperdinck's plans. However, eventually, C. Prince Humperdinck managed to capture the man in black and, as everyone in all Florence City also knows, Prince Humperdinck has a terrible temper, so therefore, D, if a man has a terrible temper, what could be more fun than losing it against the very fellow who spoiled your plans to kill your fiancé? They had reached a thieves' quarter wall now. Anigo jumped on Fezzik's shoulders and Fezzik started to climb. Conclusion 1, Anigo continued, not missing a beat. Since the prince is in Florence City taking out his temper on the man in black, the man in black must also be in Florence City. Conclusion 2. The man in black must not be too happy with his present situation. Conclusion 3. I am in Florence City and need a planner to avenge my father, while he's in Florence City and needs a rescuer to salvage his future. And when people have equal needs of each other, conclusion 4 and final, deals are made. Fezzik reached the top of the wall and started carefully climbing down the other side. I understand everything, he said. You understand nothing. But it really doesn't matter, since what you mean is you're glad to see me. Just as I'm glad to see you, because no more loneliness. That's what I meant, said Fezzik. It was dusk when they began their search blindly through all of Florence City. Dusk, a day before the wedding. Count Rugen was about to begin his nightly experiments at that dusk, gathering up his notebooks from his room, filled with all his jottings. Five levels underground, behind high castle walls, locked and chained and silent. Wesley waited beside the machine. In a way, he still looked like Wesley, except, of course, that he had been broken. Twenty years of his life had been sucked away. Twenty were left. Pain was anticipation. Soon, the count would come again. Against any wish he had left, Wesley went on crying. It was dusk when Buttercup went to see the prince. She knocked loudly, waited, knocked again. She could hear him shouting inside, and if it had not been so important, she would have never knocked the third time. But she did, and the door was yanked open, and the look of anger on his face immediately changed to the sweetest smile. Beloved, he said, come in. A moment more is all I need. And he turned back to Yellen. Look at her, Yellen, my bride-to-be. Has any man ever been so blessed? 
Yellen shook his head. Am I wrong, do you think, to go to any lengths then to protect her? Yellen shook his head again. The prince was driving him crazy with his stories of the Gilder infiltration. Yellen had every spy he'd ever used working day and night, and not one of them had come up with anything about Gilder. And yet, the prince insisted. Inwardly, Yellen sighed. It was beyond him. He was simply an enforcer, not a prince. In fact, the only remotely disturbing news he had heard since he closed the thieves' quarter that morning was within the hour, when someone told him of a rumor that the ship of the Dread Pirate Roberts had perhaps been sailing all the way into the Florin Channel itself. But such a thing, Yellen knew from long experience, was simply rumor. I'll tell you, they're everywhere, these gilders, the prince went on, and since you seem unable to stop them, I wish to change some plans. All the gates have been sealed to my castle except for the front one, yes? Yes. And twenty men guarded. Add eighty more. I want a hundred men. Clear? A hundred men it will be. Every brute available. Inside the castle, I'm quite safe. I have my own supplies, food, stables, enough. As long as they cannot get at me, I will survive. These, then, are the new and final plans. Jot them down. All 500th anniversary arrangements are canceled until after the wedding. The wedding is tomorrow at sunset. My bride and I will ride my wife to Florin Channel, surrounded by all your enforcers. There we will board a ship and begin our long-awaited honeymoon, surrounded by every ship in the Florin Armada. Every ship before, Buttercup corrected. He blinked at her a moment in silence. Then he said, blowing her a kiss, but discreetly, so Yellen couldn't see. Yes, yes, how forgetful I am. Every ship before. He turned back to Yellen. But in his blink, in that following silence, Buttercup has seen it all. Those ships will stay with us until I deem it set to release them. Of course, Gilder could attack them, but that is a chance we must risk. Let me think if there's anything else. The prince loved giving orders, especially the kind he knew he would never need carrying out. Also, Yellen was a slow jotter, and that only added to the fun. Excused, the prince said finally. With a bow, Yellen was gone. The four ships were never sent, Buttercup said when they were alone. Don't bother lying to me anymore. Whatever was done was done for your own good, sweet pudding. Somehow, I don't think so. You're nervous. I'm nervous. We're getting married tomorrow. We've got a right to be. You couldn't be more wrong, you know. I'm very calm. And in truth, she did seem that way. It doesn't matter whether you sent the ships or not. Wesley will come for me. There's a God. I know that. And there's a love. I know that too. So Wesley will save me. You're a silly girl. Now go to your room. Yes, I am a silly girl. And yes, again, I will go to my room. And you are a coward with a heart filled with nothing but fear. The prince had to laugh. <laughs> the, the greatest hunter in the world, and you say I'm a coward. I do. I do indeed. I'm getting much smarter as I age. I say you're a coward, and you are. I think you hunt only to reassure yourself that you are not what you are. The weakest thing to ever walk the earth. He will come for me, and then we'll be gone, and you'll be helpless for all your hunting, because Wesley and I are joined by the bond of love, and you cannot track that, not with a thousand bloodhounds, and you cannot break it, not with a thousand swords. 
Humperty screamed towards her then, ripping at her autumn hair, yanking her from her feet and down the long, curving corridor to a room where he tore that door open and threw her inside and locked her there and started running for the underground entrance to the zoo of death. My father stopped reading. Go on, I said. Lost my place, he said, and I waited there, still weak with pneumonia and wet with fear until he started reading again. Anigo allowed Fezzik to open the door. Hey, I said, hold it, that's not right, you skipped. And then I quick caught my tongue because we had just had that scene where I got so upset about Buttercup marrying Humperdinck when I accused him of skipping and I didn't want any repeat of that. Daddy, I I don't mean anything or anything, but wasn't the prince sort of running towards the zoo? And then the next thing you said was about Inigo, and maybe, I mean, shouldn't there be a pager or, or like that in between? My father started to close the book. I'm not fighting. Please, don't close it. It's not for that, he said. And then he looked at me for a long time. Billy, he said. He almost never called me that. I loved it when he did. Anybody else, I hated it. But when the barber did it, I don't know. I I just melted. Billy, do you trust me? What? Of course I do. Billy, you've got pneumonia, and you're taking this book very serious. I know, because we already fought once about it. I'm not fighting anymore. Listen to me. I've never lied to you yet, did I? Okay, trust me. I don't want to read you the rest of this chapter, and I want you to say it's all right. Why? What happens in the rest of this chapter? If I tell you, I could accomplish the same by reading. Just say okay. I can't say that until I know what happens. But tell me what happens, and I'll tell you if it's okay. And I promise if I don't want to hear it, you can skip on to an ego. You won't do me this favor. I'll sneak out of bed when you're asleep. I don't care where you hide the book. I'll find it and I'll read the rest of the chapter myself. So you might as well tell me. Billy, please. I got gotcha. you. You might as well admit it. My father sighed this terrible sound. I knew I had him beaten then. Wesley dies, my father said. I said, what do you mean Wesley dies? You mean dies? My father nodded. Prince Humperdinck kills him. He's only faking though, right? My father shook his head, closed the book all the way. Oh shit, I said and I started to cry. I'm sorry, my father said. I'll leave you alone. And he left me. Who gets Humperdinck? I screamed after him. He stopped in the hall. I don't understand. Who kills Prince Humperdinck? At the end, someone's got to get him. Is it Fezzik? Who? Nobody kills him. He lives. You mean he wins? Daddy, Jesus, what'd you read this thing to me for? And I buried my head in my pillow, and I've never cried like that again, not once to this day. I could feel almost my heart emptying into my pillow. 
I guess the most amazing thing about crying, though, is that when you're in it, you think it'll go on forever, but it never really lasts half what you think. Not in terms of real time. In terms of real emotions, it's worse than you think, but not by the clock. When my father came back, it couldn't have been even an hour later. So, he said, shall we go on tonight or not? Shoot, I told him. Eyes dry. No catching throat. Nothing. Fire when ready. With an ego? Let's hear the murder, I said. I knew I wasn't about to ball again. Like buttercups, my heart was now a secret garden and the walls were very high. Humperdinck screamed towards her then, ripping at her autumn hair, yanking her from her feet and down the long curving corridor to her room where he tore that door open and threw her inside and locked her there and started running for the underground entrance to the zoo of death and down he plunged, giant stride after giant stride. And when he threw the door of the fifth level cage open, even Count Rugen was startled at the purity of whatever the emotion was that was reflected in the prince's eyes. The prince moved to Wesley. She loves you, the prince cried. She loves you still and you love her, so think of that. Think of this too. In all this world, you might have been happy. Genuinely happy. Not one couple in a century has that chance. Not not really. No matter what the storybook said, but you could have had it. And so, I would think... No one will ever suffer a loss as great as you. And with that, he grabbed the dial and pushed it all the way forward. And the count cried, not the 20. But by then, it was too late. The death scream had started. It was much worse than the scream of the wild dog. In the first place, the dial for the wild dog had only been set at six, whereas this was more than triple that, and so, naturally enough, it was more than three times as long, and more than three times as loud, but none of this really was why it was worse. It was a scream from a human throat that made the difference. In her chamber, Buttercup heard it, and it frightened her, but she had not the least idea what it was. By the main door of the castle, Yellen heard it, and it also frightened him, though he couldn't imagine what it was either. All the hundred brutes and fighters flanked by the main door heard it too, and to a man, they were bothered by it, and they talked it over for quite a while, but none of them had any sound notions as to what it might have been. The great square was filled with common people excited about the coming wedding and anniversary, and they all heard it too, and no one even made the pretense of not being scared. But again, None of them knew at all what it might have been. The death scream rose higher in the night. All the streets leading into the square were also filled with citizens, all trying to crowd into the square, and they heard it. But once they admitted they were petrified, they gave up trying to guess what it might have been. Anigo knew immediately. In the tiny alley that he and Fezzik were trying to force their way through, he stopped, remembering. The alley led to the streets that led to the square. And the alley was jammed too. I don't like that sound, Fezzik said, his skin for a moment cold. Anigo grabbed the giant and the words began pouring out. Fezzik? 
Fezzik. That is the sound of ultimate suffering. I know that sound. That was the sound in my heart when Count Rugen slaughtered my father and I saw him fall. The man in black makes it now. Do you think that's him? Who else has cause for ultimate suffering this celebration night? And with that, he started to follow the sound. But the crowds were in his way, and he was strong, but he was thin, and he cried, Fezzik, Fezzik, we must track that sound. We must trace it to its source. I cannot move, so you must lead me. Fly, Fezzik, this is the Negro begging. Make a path, please. Well, Fezzik had rarely had anyone beg him of anything, least of all a Negro, and when something like that happened, you did what you could. So Fezzik, without waiting, began to push forward. Lots of people. Fezzik pushed harder. Lots of people began to move out of Fezzik's way fast. The death screen was starting to fade now, fading in the clouds. Fezzik, said Inigo, all your power now. Down the alley, Fezzik ran, people screaming and diving to get out of his way. And in his footsteps, Inigo kept pace. And at the end of the alley was a street, and the screen was fainter now, but Fezzik turned left and into the middle of a street where he went, and he owned it. No one was in his way. Nothing dared block his way, and the screen was getting just so hard to hear. So with all his might, Fezzik roared, Quiet! The street was suddenly hushed, and Fezzik pounded along, a Negro right behind, and the scream was still there, still faintly there, and into the great square itself and the castle beyond before the scream was gone. Wesley lay dead by the machine. The prince kept the dial by the 20 mark long, long after it was necessary, until the count said, Done. The prince left without another look at Wesley. He took the secret underground stairs four at a time. She actually called me a coward, he said, and then he was gone from sight. Count Rugen started taking notes. Then he threw his quill pen down. He tested Wesley briefly. Then he shook his head. Death was not of any intellectual interest to him at all. When you were dead, you couldn't react to pain. The Count said dispose of the body, because even though he couldn't see the albino, he knew the albino was there. It was really a shame, he realized. He mounted the stairs after the prince. You just didn't come across victims like Wesley every day of the year. When they were gone, the albino came out, pulled the cups from the corpse, decided to burn the body on the garbage pyre back behind the castle, which meant a wheelbarrow. He hurried up the underground stairs, came out the secret entrance, moved quickly to the main tool shed. All the wheelbarrows were buried back near the rear wall behind the hose and rakes and hedge trimmers. The albino made a hissing sound of displeasure and began to pick his way past all the other equipment. This kind of thing always seemed to happen to him when he was in a hurry. The albino hissed again. Extra work, extra work all the time. Wouldn't you just know it? He finally got the barrel out and was just passing the false and deadly supposed main interest to the zoo when... I'm having the devil's own trouble tracking that screen was spoken to him in the albino world to find. There, there in the castle grounds, a blade-thin stranger with a sword in his hand. The sword suddenly flicked its way to the albino's throat. Where's the man in black? The swordman said then. He had a giant scar slanting down each cheek and seemed like no one to trifle with. Whispered, I know no man in black. Did the screen come from that place? The fellow indicated the main entrance. Nod. And the throat it came from. I need this man, so be quick. Whispered. Wesley. 
Anigo reasoned. A sailor? Brought here by Rugen? Nod. And I reach him where? The albino hesitated, then pointed to the deadly entrance. Whispered, he's on the bottom level, five levels down. Then I have no more need for you. Quiet him a while, Fezzik. From behind him, the albino was aware of a giant shadow moving. Funny, he thought. The last thing he remembered. I thought that was a tree. Anigo was on fire now. There was no stopping him. Fezzik hesitated by the main door. Why would he tell the truth? He's a zookeeper threatened with death. Why would he lie? That doesn't follow. I don't care, Anigo said sharply. And in fact, he didn't. He knew in his heart that the man in black was down there. There was no other reason for Fezzik to find him, for Fezzik to know of Rugen, for everything to be coming together after so many years of waiting. If there was a god, then there was a man in black waiting. Anigo knew that. He knew it. And of course, he was absolutely right. But again, of course, there were many things he did not know. That the man in black was dead, for one. That the interest they were taking was the wrong one for another. A false one, set up to foil those like himself who did not belong. There were spitting cobras down there. Though what would actually come at him would be worse. These things, he did not know either. But his father had to be revenged, and the man in black would figure out how. That was enough for Anigo. And so, with an urgency that would soon turn to deep regret, he and Fezzik approached the zoo of death. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Uh, leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. Uh, it's just at the top where the title of my overall show is, there's a button, a push button, that uh, you can push and leave five stars. I appreciate it. You can also re- leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that in Apple Podcasts and copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You could donate to the show at patreon.com slash simulcast. Or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my dad, and you say.